Hey, Trailblazing Justice listeners, this is Beatrix, the producer of the podcast. Welcome back to another special episode of Stop Tear Gaslighting Us. In this series, we'll be taking a look back on the 2020 George Floyd protests and look at where we are now. We will be interviewing protesters who are on the ground and ask them about their experience. This series is to mark the two-year anniversary of the protests, remember what happened during this summer in which studies shown Portland became the most tear-gassed city in America. We look at media portrayal compared to what it was actually like and what the protests may have accomplished and if the demands around policing were met. Join us to hear from protesters hopefully each week. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, um, my name is Eliza. Um, I use they and she pronouns. Um, I'm 28 um, and I'm a nanny right now. I'm graduating college in June and um, I'm going to be a teacher, hopefully for middle school science, um, probably with special education. And um, yeah, I'm a community member. I'm an activist. I'm a protester. I'm politically engaged as much as I can be. Um, and I'm also not born in Portland. I'm from San Francisco. So that has its own kind of qualities to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so to kick us off, um, we're you know, we're coming up on the two year mark um, for the George Floyd protests in 2020. And uh, we're, you know, interviewing protesters who um, were there um, in the in the nightly protest. Um, and we're just um, wanting to, to know, uh, why did you originally join the protests? I remember the first night of the, I, I, like the day that, um, George Floyd was killed. Um, a lot of my friends were downtown um, and protesting and I wasn't there. I, I forget why there was like some personal thing that had come up, but I remember feeling um, the way that I did back in 2014 mm-hmm. when um, uh, I believe that was the Oscar Grant murder uh, that incited um, the Black Lives Matter movement like really intensely. That was like the genesis of it. And back in 2014, um, I, for so many different reasons, wasn't protesting. And um, I felt like this was kind of my chance to be as vocal and activated as possible. I really wanted to show my support to the community. Um, and I also wanted to really verbalize my dissent towards the system and how um, extremely violent and brutal and inhumane the conditions are um, for everybody, but it's very specifically for Black people um, and for Black men. Mm. Yeah. So, um, looking back, 
what do you remember most about the protests in Portland? I remember the first couple of weeks there were the daytime protesters and the nighttime protesters. And it felt like there was cohesion and unity amongst the city. It felt like everyone was on board with like the messaging that black lives matter. And that's what we're fighting for to hammer into the system as much as we can. Um, and slowly but surely it started to dissolve um, from the inside and just mistrust and trauma um, really ate away at, at the core of that message. And it turned into, um, it. I think it, by the end of it, it, it really fractured the community more than it had been before the protests. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in reflecting on your own experience as a protester, you know, we can look at what happened in the city and in the community, but all we really know um, at the end of the day is what happened to us in our bodies. Um, could you describe what it was like on the ground? Yeah, um, I was usually out there as a medic. Um, I'm like first aid and CPR certified. So nothing, you know, I can't fix a broken leg or anything, but I can triage, um, which is what we really needed during that entire summer. Um, hmm. I remember every day or night that I would go out, um, just like putting on my black, like putting on my uniform essentially. And it felt like a second job. Um, and it's when I would be out on the ground during like lulls of activity, I'd be getting to know people. Um, there would be like kind of moments of bonding, but it was still this like hyper vigilant energy because the, the activity could change immediately. Um, we could all be standing around chanting Black Lives Matter or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or um, Trayvon Martin or any number of names in, um, in grief and in remembrance. And immediately you would hear like a bang or you would hear people yelling or you would see people running yeah. and there would be an army of police officers just moving towards you like like a tsunami um just like so stealthily infiltrating the entire community and I there were a lot of moments where I was brutalized by the police um where I was shot with pepper balls and um, hit with, you know, tear gas canisters at my feet. Um, 
And, you know, I was, I was nearly detained many times. There were several times when police officers actually like caught me and would like sit on me. Um, and then would just like, let me go. And in those moments, it felt like the worst game that I had ever played. Um, where it's just like, why, why would you be doing all of these like horrible, violent things just to like have the, like the consequence that I receive then is just feeling fear constantly. Um, so yeah, that's my, I think like to kind of encapsulate my experience, it was just hypervigilant, I think is a really good word. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, just like, yeah, like total disdain, I guess, or I don't know. It just like really, really confused as to how I could like humanize a police officer, you know, like the, the sentiment, a cab, like, it's true. <laughs> there's, you know, like there are so many people who are like, but there are always the good ones. And it's like, I have a really hard time seeing how police officers are human mm-hmm. when they look like huge robots and are throwing my friends on the ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we saw it from multiple fronts. There was PPB, federal agents, National Guard, white mm-hmm. supremacists that were circling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think with what we see from news headlines and perceptions of mm-hmm. Portland and what happened and what it was actually like on the ground in the different experiences of uh, of protesters, um, we, we have to name those things we have to tell the tell this real story of what Mm -hmm. happened um okay so shifting gears a little bit um would you say the protests achieved anything if so what oh that is such a hard question um I've really been chewing on that for the last year um Because being out there, you know, I, with all my friends and, you know, comrades or what have you, and seeing, like, the effects that it had on my friends and, like, many of my friends were arrested and, like, had long stays in in jail. And, um, you know, I, we both have been saying the word trauma and, like, that word, I think it's been really watered down just because it's been used a lot recently, but, like, it like the effects that it has on your brain and the way that you are able to respond and react and move about the world as a normal person are gone. Um, I mean, you could hear a loud bang and, and be triggered. And the, Mm -hmm. like, what that means is that you are now in like survival mode and you can't get out until you like re-regulate yourself. Yeah. If like I want to be able to hear a balloon pop and not feel like I'm gonna die. Yeah. So knowing knowing the cost that it had on the community and seeing that 
the general that like no city actually defunded their police force it's so hard to say that the protests made material change which is so heartbreaking because we fought out there for hundreds of days yeah and there are people still fighting out there I am not one of them um I and so like seeing the cost like I said like seeing the cost that it had on the community yeah and seeing that there if anything there there was even a cost on the benefit side that like the general um uh, the general discussion in the media and the way that like these protests were portrayed changed the national conversation to being more pro cop than before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say no. I would say the protests didn't change anything. I would say they made things worse. And that's not to say that it's like the fault of the protesters. I don't want that message to come across. Right. I want it that like, the fact that people were fighting so desperately to like make the system know that black lives matter for hundreds of days, the fact that that didn't just, it didn't just not work. It made things worse. The backlash, not the protests itself, but what we see in history is after the civil rights movement and perceptions of crime due to Mm -hmm. like protests and riots, um, then took a hard swing to the right. Mm -hmm. Um, that you know nixon's war on drugs mass incarceration increased policing and we see that now which is extremely heartbreaking as people who put so much on the line and there were specific demands it was not hey white women uh buy your babies anti-racist books and uh you know (laughs) join a book club and uh just uh infographics on instagram Mm -hmm. it is divest in your local police department right is invest in community resources it was specific demands it wasn't just uh you know um convicts derek chauvin mm-hmm. or vote for biden <laughs> <laughs> remember that and so it, it, we have to remember that there was yeah specific demands that were not met mm-hmm. and that um the the protesters in portland have just gone through hell and there's no accountability from ppb federal agents tear gas uh uh, restrictions are rolled back so they are free to tear gas us again um and so i think it's just important as much as the there is the tough on crime rhetoric that we push back with data with our stories with what's actually reality so absolutely Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You have been listening to Trailblazing Justice. This is Beatrix, the producer of the podcast. Hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Stop Tear Gaslighting Us, as well as our regular content from Bobbin and Eric. Thanks for tuning in.